Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Welcome. So glad that you guys are here. Um, again, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption. And uh, just uh, again, like I said earlier, if I have yet to meet you, I would love to meet you to say hello. And so please come on up afterwards and uh, and just say hello. Well, um, I, I just want to say this. I, I know that for some of you, uh, you know, it's been a while since you've been in church. And so thank you for coming. Um, I know that sometimes anxiety can kind of come up around going to church. I recognize that. And so thank you so much. The other thing is um, today I was I was driving driving around and I, you know, it was one of those things where I, I was pretty sure the roads were good and they're, they're decent, you know, they're, they're good. Um, but there was a moment where, you know, I was like, I was too, uh, uh, too, uh, excited and, uh, I turned into an Ikea cart, you know, I kind of like went sideways with all four wheels, you know? So if you've been to Ikea, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so anyway, just thanks for, for braving the cold, uh, weather. It's, it's crazy cold outside and all that for coming here. It really means a lot. Well, um, I, you know, I, one of the things that I love to do is I love to ask people what their favorite Christmas movie is because you learn so much about a person when you ask them that. And I would love to hear yours afterwards. So please come on up and tell me what it is. Um, and uh, I specifically love asking Christians because if you get to, you know, uh, you know, if you get to a Christian who's holier than thou, you know, we exist. All right. Let's just be honest. Okay. But you get to a Christian who's holier than thou and you say, Hey, what's your favorite Christmas movie? They kind of squirm because there's no like Jesus centered Christmas movie, right? There's not this movie where like Jesus is the ultimate figure in the middle. And, uh, and so anyway, I love to see that, you know, squirming moment. Um, and they come up with some hallmark movie or whatever. For me, I don't really care. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Hollywood and all this stuff is kind of tainted Christmas movies. And I'm, you know, in the end, whatever, it is what it is. Um, but my favorite Christmas movie is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Anybody else? Come on. Yeah. And you thought I was going to say Passion of the Christ with Jim Caviezel. Yeah. Yeah, well, pastors, we're more than one dimensional, okay? So anyway, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, love that movie. But there's one scene in there that really reminds me of Christmas. And it's specifically, um, you know, this, this, this scene around the dinner table. See, Clark Griswold, he does several things throughout the, you know, the movie. He wants the perfect Christmas. He, he, he goes for the tree and it's like the perfect tree. He goes for, it's a big tree, but it's a perfect tree for him. Uh, he goes and, he, you know, he's trying to find the perfect gift, all this stuff. He's trying to be the best host, all these things. But when it comes down to it, the thing that really reminds me of Christmas is this scene right here. He goes and he cuts into the turkey. And the moment that the knife hits the turkey, it splits open, gas emits from it. And uh, what does the turkey look like? It looks like this. It's dry, it's bony, it's empty. And here's the reality. I believe that for many of you, your Christmas experience, your Advent experience this year has been exactly like the turkey on Clark Griswold's table. Because for you, you, you wanted it to be perfect. And maybe on the outside, the glitz and the glamour was there. Maybe on the outside, it looked really good. But when you're you're getting to it on the inside. You're wondering why there's an emptiness there. You're wondering why it feels dry. You're wondering why it feels bony, why it feels empty. So here's the deal. I hope, my hope, my prayer is that today in this service, 
that you would rediscover that the, 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 the reason for Christmas, who is Christ, would reawaken inside of you and that your turkey would be juicy and stuffed and whatever. Okay, it kind of falls apart there, right? Um, but I believe uh, that God has something in store for all of us for being here tonight. And so anyway, I just hope that, um, that your Christmas changes because of the things that you hear tonight in the person that we're focusing on, which is nobody other than Jesus Christ, all right? So uh, one thing that uh, I'll start off by saying this, one thing that I loathe is the gift card. I, I think it's like the thing that, are, that, you know, just really tore apart Christmas in so many ways. And, um, you know, when, when you look at a gift card, uh, by the way, I just know this also, like my, my, by me saying that, I sound like this old, like, you know, crusty, crotchety curmudgeon, but it's, it's true. So the gift card is terrible, but the reason I think it's terrible is because of what it takes away from, from Christmas, right? And, uh, you know, back in the day, we had gift certificates, but nobody was really giving gift certificates because you could lose them. Uh, by the way, do you know, do you guys remember, raise your hand if you remember when they used to expire. Gift cards, too. They don't expire anymore. It's crazy. There was a law passed. It was like a, like a decade ago. Actually, there's a law passed that, you know, they can't, can't no longer expire, expire or whatever. But um, uh, so the gift card is, is this thing where now you give somebody a gift card, it immediately goes onto their iPhone. It goes into their Apple wallet, Okay. Android users, nobody knows what you do in the Android world, all right? So, uh, like, in your world, 2 plus 2 is 5, I think. So, like, I don't really care what you do. But for the rest of humanity, uh, you know, we, we take the gift card and we put it, and the majority of humanity, we take the gift card and we put it on our Apple wallet, all right? And then immediately it gets thrown away. And, and, and there's nothing about a gift there, really. It's just an exchange of services, in a sense. It's very mercantile. It's very, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's more contractual than anything else. But I, I think four things is what happens with a gift card that kind of tears away at what it means to give a gift. Number one, it, it takes the joy from the giver. There's no longer this like hunt for the perfect gift. Uh, who, who in here thinks that you got somebody the perfect gift this year? Raise your hand. Like you got somebody the perfect gift. Is it a gift card? The answer is no, it's not a gift card, okay? If you want to find somebody the perfect gift, it's not a gift card. Number two, um, it, uh, it takes away the personalized feel. Like, you no longer have to know the person. You can say, hey, here's a $50 gift card to Target, right? And any woman is going to go, yes, this is exactly what I wanted, right? Uh, the third thing is it places this obvious value amount on the person. Remember when we used to, like, black out the numbers, right? Or we would remove the tag, or we would give a gift receipt, but we would actually remove all the stuff. Instead, now, um, this whole thing is like, we're like, you're, you're exactly $50 worth. You know, you're like, cool, thanks for the value. You know, like, this is my value estimation. And, um, and then number four, it takes away the anticipation that builds around unwrapping a gift, right? I mean, like, nobody wraps a gift card. It either comes in a card and we give it to you, or we just go, hey, you know, here's the deal. Let's be honest. I'm not going to wrap this thing. Here's a gift card. You're worth 50 bucks, right? But at the end of the day, it takes away the anticipation of unwrapping a gift. So today what I want to do is I want us to focus on a gift. And um, this, by the way, is uh, wrapped um, by Jenna Stevens. And it is beautiful. Isn't this great? This is incredible. Um, can anybody else wrap this well? I cannot wrap gifts at all. Mine normally involve uh, black trash bags and duct tape and, uh, you know, uh, maybe like a silver Sharpie if you're, if you're lucky. Anyway, um, this is incredible. And so what I want us to do is I want us to just unwrap this 
together at the same time. Um, I know what's in here. You guys don't. But there's an amazing gift inside of this. And she told me, she goes, she goes, I didn't know if an adult was going to be unwrapping this or if a child was. So I made it very, like, child-friendly, which is good because I have a microphone. And it's hard to unwrap things uh, with one hand. And, um, okay, let's see. What, what do we got here? This is, this is perfect. This is a box uh, that she had from her house. Uh, Target. Look at that. I swear to you, I'm not joking. It literally says Target. I told you, get any woman a Target gift card, and they'll go, this is exactly what I wanted. All right, so here we go. Uh, in this, um, let's see here. I can't break it, right? Can I break it? Okay. I just want to make sure. All right. There we go. I was at dinner at their house uh, a couple weeks ago, and I saw this, and I was like, I need that. So I'm not going to give it back to him. No, I'm joking. I'm going to give it back to him. But this, this is a manger, right? And the reality is this, that the king of the cosmos, he didn't give us a gift card. There was joy in the giving of the gift. He knew us personally when he gave us what he gave us. It was a value that we can't understand, a value that, that cannot be placed on any of us. The life of his son, Jesus Christ, that value is priceless. And every single Christmas, we come back to the manger to look at the down-to-earth gift of Jesus. So today, what I want to do is as we close out in Advent, I want us to look at this down-to-earth gift. What we've been doing is each week we've been looking at this definition of down-to-earth. And down-to-earth, uh, the definition is this, to be practical and unpretentious, relatable without pomp and circumstance. And this is Jesus. This is the gift of Jesus. Practical and unpretentious, relatable without pomp and circumstance. He came in a manger. By the way, the real manger would have looked more like a hewn-out hole on the side of a cave. Hate to burst your bubble, okay, but it's really what it would have looked like. Probably not this. This was a later invention. But, but the reality is, either way, he was put into a feeding trough for crying out loud. This is where he slept. This is where the king of the cosmos, this is where God Almighty slept. He's a down-to-earth God. And, uh, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a prophecy that was cast about 750 years before the coming of Christ. And uh, we're going to see what, uh, what that has to say for us today. So uh, what we do together is we go to the table of contents. And so if you have a physical Bible with you, great, awesome. If you have a digital Bible, awesome as well. Welcome to 2022. Open up your Bibles and, uh, and we're going to go to the table of contents together. Also, by the way, if you do take notes, uh, we'd love for you to take notes. Here's the reality. Uh, if you take notes, this is just a, you know, a, a true sociological uh, fact that if you take notes, you're four times more likely to remember what you wrote down. And the reality is like, we want to look more like Jesus at the end of this. We just don't come here just to like see each other and have friends, which is awesome. By the way, we do that as well. Uh, but there's a lot of places I can have friends. I was uh, on uh, Thursday night, I was hanging out with some guys and uh, over some beers and some wings. It was great. Okay. So, um, so we can have friends anywhere, but it's different when we come to church, we want to look more like Jesus. And so we encourage you to uh, take some notes. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is in the old Testament. It's one of the prophets and uh, we're going to put it up here on the screen, but this is one of the, um, one of the prophecies of Jesus. Again, about 750, 740 years or so. Um, this book was written before the birth of Christ. 
says this, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice in the throne of his ancestor, uh, or from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. So this is great news. Uh, Isaiah is first trying to tell us that the gift of Jesus is to us or for us. The gift of Jesus is for you. It's to you. And this is a crazy thing um, because we would think that the most priceless thing in the world would go to someone else more deserving, right? Don't you feel that way? We, we think sometimes that we are not deserving, that somebody else would get the most priceless gift in the world, not us. Like, I can't even get, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a nice house or a yacht, you know? Like, are you kidding me? The most priceless thing in the world? But the gift is to you. Remember when you were a kid and, and you had, you know, siblings, whether they're a whole half step, you know, foster adopted siblings, and, and, and your parents uh, got you gifts and then they got your siblings gifts. That's how it works, right? Hopefully all the siblings got gifts, not just one or not just one of the kids. And so they would get these gifts and, and all of a sudden you're looking at your gifts and you're like, okay, cool, yeah. You look over your sibling's gift and you're like, rad, right? Like awesome, those are awesome. Like those are killer gifts. And so then you're sitting there thinking like, wait a minute, I don't know that I want my gift. Like I love, I love my brother's gift or I love my sister's gift. And so you go over and you start playing with your sibling's gift. And then your, your parents go, no, 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 no. You have your gifts, go play with your gifts. These are your brother's gifts or these are your sister's gifts, right? But here's the reality. The gift of Jesus is to you. It's to everyone. You don't have to share this gift in the sense that you don't get it and somebody else does. Everybody gets it. This is a gift that everyone receives. The gift is to you. It says that the government will rest on his shoulders. And this is also great news. How could it not be that the government will rest on his shoulders? Last week I was saying that Jesus is not only a true God, he's true but he's also good. And we know this, that not all truth is good truth. Can I get an amen? Can anybody think of a truth that's not a good truth? I'll give you one that one day everybody's got to get a colonoscopy. That's it right there, right? That is a truth. It's true. It's not good. It's not good. Nobody wants, nobody's like, yes, sign me up. Nobody goes to Six Flags and that's like an addition thing you can put on for $15 on your ticket, you know? Like nobody wants that. But here's the deal, just because it's true doesn't mean it's good. And so, but the reality is that God is true, but he's also good. See, the thing is that God could be this bloodthirsty, angry, vicious, murderous, you know, dictatorial God, but he's not. He's a good, good God and he loves us. And so the government is gonna be upon his shoulders. And I love this um, because when we, when we think about the government being on his shoulders, um, I don't know if you know this, I think you know this, but it's always good to remind ourselves, Christ was an American. And so what that means is the government that he's talking about isn't just American, it is American, it is the American government, but it's not just the American government because Christ was an American. The reality is that every single government, no matter what it was from all of time, not just now, I mean, now we're looking at, okay, the Korean government, the Russian government, you know, the Chinese government, whatever, will be on his shoulders. The Iranian government will be on the shoulders of Christ. But, 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 Beyond that, the Roman government, the Mongolian government, right? The German government, every government of all time through all space and time will be on the shoulders of Christ. It will rest on his shoulders. 
And that's a good thing because then we no longer have to have these crazy arguments about the efficacy of the government. We don't have to be, you know, worrying about or freaking out about the government. We no longer have this polarization about the government because the government will be run by the divine. It'll be on his shoulders. It'll be on God's shoulders. And so I'm excited about that. And here's the thing, though. When it's on his shoulders, when he's finally crowned king of the cosmos, when, when all of, of time as we know it changes over and it goes fully into what we know as eternity, uh, this is what Philippians 2.10 says. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What this means is that every single person, every person, every man, woman, and child, anybody who's ever had brain waves in a heartbeat is going to bow to God. Every single person, they're going to bow one day. And the truth is this, that God is so good, he gives us a choice to do it right now. But I guarantee you there will be grave consequences if we wait. And so God gives us the opportunity, the choice to right now, but every single person, this means Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, they're going to bow. Your grandparents will, will, will bow. It also means that, that, that Biggie and Tupac, RIP, right? They're going to bow, okay? It, it means that, that Joseph Stalin and Hitler and, 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 and all of these people, it doesn't matter who they are, they will all bow to the name of Jesus is what scripture promises. The question is, how will he reign? How will he run the government? Uh, we have this question, by the way, every time that, that a new president goes into office, how will he run the government? How's this going to look? And, um, and so how will Jesus reign? How will he run this government? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4 says this. It says, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. See, when King Jesus comes, he doesn't come to lay heavy burdens on his people. Most kings, they lay heavy burdens on the shoulders of their people. But King Jesus comes to relieve those heavy burdens. He comes to break the yoke of their slavery. He comes to make things lighter, easier. This is why last week we read this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. You feel like that? You feel like you're weary this Christmas season? You feel like you're carrying heavy burdens? And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. A king who runs the government with gentleness and humility, the king of the cosmos, this is the down-to-earth gift of Jesus. Next, it says that he's the wonderful counselor. But this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that he's uh, the one that's going to give you counsel, right? It doesn't mean, you know, though he does that, right? He's not going to act like your counselor. By the way, I literally wrote this section while I was sitting in my counselor's office getting ready to go into counseling. And I was like, this is very apropos. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, what he's not saying is that he's going to counsel you. But what it is saying is he's the source of all truth and wisdom, this is Jesus. This is the down-to-earth Christ that we follow. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So, side note, I just want to say this. I love that John talks about the character of Jesus here. It says that he's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, I believe this. I think that in this season, I think that many of us haven't received all of that unfailing love and faithfulness. And we wish that we had that, but Jesus is offering that to you. 
And so if you've been in a, if you've been in a season, it's been a hard year for you, and you're like, hey, I, I want some unfailing love, I want faithfulness, this is what Christ offers. But here it says that the word became human. And the Greek word behind the word word, behind the English word word, by the way, I feel like I'm uh, doing who's on first, what's on second, whatever. I don't know who's on third up here, Abbott and Costello. Uh, half of you have no clue what I'm talking about. It was black and white. I wasn't alive. None of you were either. Anyway, it's uh, culture. Okay. Um, so... Uh, um, but the Greek word, uh, got lost, I didn't pick up here. The Greek word behind the word word here uh, is the word logos. And it's where we get our word logic from. It's where we get our word logic from. And see, when you look it up, the word logos in the Greek lexicon, which is just a nerdy thing to say dictionary, basically what you see is there's many uses for this word. There's, very, very, there's many small uses, there's many big uses. And what John is getting at here is this. He's, he's getting uh, to his audience, he's speaking to his audience in a specific way. See, the Greeks believed this. They believed that there was an underpinning of life. There was a subflooring of all of life. Remember, John is talking to this culture, very Greek at the time, very Greek influenced, very Stoic influenced. And he's speaking to them into their language. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, hey, the rationale, the reason, the logic that you believe is the underpinning, the subflooring of all of life came alive. <laughs> like this thing that you believe, the logos, the logic of why everything exists and what it all is, it's human now. It's wrapped in flesh. It was born and his name is Jesus. This is what John is saying. Do you get this? And so when he says that he's the mighty counselor, what he's saying is that if you need to know the reason for life, anybody, anybody in here, like, hey, I just want to know the reason why I'm alive. Like, like logically, why is the world here? What is the rationale behind all this thing? What he's saying is it's Jesus that he came and he was alive. And, uh, and so the next, he says, mighty God. And, and when you go back to the, the Hebrew language of Isaiah's prophecy here, Jesus is called the mighty God. And this is the warrior king. It's the unstoppable God. This is the God that bats a thousand. It's the God who's undefeated in the ring. This is the cosmic apex predator. But yet he's here to love us. And he's here to speak to us in a tender, specific way. Scripture talks about him being the protector, but also the provider. He can fight for us, but tenderly love us. And this is the down-to-earth, mighty God that we serve. It says, everlasting Father. By the way, when I hear this, um, I know Willy Wonka has come out 51 years ago. But I just, I cannot hear this and not think everlasting gobstopper, right? Uh, anyway, so everlasting father. Um, now this is a really interesting thing because we know this, if you're like, if you're like a good Christian, right? You know this, okay? There's God, the father, Jesus, the son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity, right? Okay. So why is Jesus called the everlasting father? Like he's not the father, he's the son, but this is a very Trinitarian moment. See, in this, in this, the prophecy Isaiah is saying that Jesus is also the Father, and the Father is also the Spirit, and the Spirit is also the Son. That even though they're distinct, they are one. And so this is a very Trinitarian moment where we see the Trinity come to life in uh, Scripture. And so um, let, let, me, let me give this, this to you. I was reading this this past week and just thinking through this sermon and actually I read through this two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I think I, this has been on my mind. And um, so as someone who's not a parent, 
I have some parenting advice for you. You guys love that? You're like the gall. Um, I love, by the way, I, I, ask, uh, I ask people who like, are pregnant, I'm like, what's the most ridiculous thing that somebody has said to you? I ask parents, what's the most ridiculous thing that a non-parent has said to you? But I think this is gonna be really good. Just give me a second here and, and hear this. I, I think often what happens as parents, when a child is bad, what do we do? We say, we point and we say, go to your room, right? Now, if you're doing that so you don't kill them, that's good, okay? But if you're doing that um, for punishment, I just want us to rethink it. What's interesting about this is it's a natural thing for us, and it's something that's been in, you know, like in our culture. And I don't care what parenting camp you came from or, or, or you ascribe to, it's fine. But I think what's interesting when we do this is what we're, what we're effectively saying without saying it, what we're saying without verbalizing it, is you don't deserve to be in my presence right now. The punishment is that you have to be separated from me right now. Let me read this to you. This is from uh, Scott Erickson's book, Honest Advent. I've been, it's just been, you know, doing work on my soul lately, and I've, I've been reading it a lot. And anyway, listen to this. What I've come to understand is that grace is the antidote to the ailment of shame. Grace is the antidote to the ailment of shame. Shame believes one lacks what it takes to be loved and must endeavor to earn that back. It's the burden of perfection, morally, spiritually, humanly, and it inevitably destroys our souls because there's no fulfillment of enough. It's just an endless jog on the janky treadmill of striving. Anybody feel like that sometimes? Just on this janky treadmill of striving. To see Jesus full of grace means there wasn't any perfection checklist that was met to deserve his presence his arrival stands against the idea that if you do it right, you get access to his presence. His presence was freely given. He never withheld it. Grace is presence, not withheld. Oh, so good. I, I, want, you, I, I want you to write just that last line down somewhere because it's one of the best definitions of grace I've ever heard in my life. Grace is presence, not withheld. Somebody I, I trust and respect said this about parenting. He said, as an earthly father, when I saw my kids veering off course and struggling, I didn't turn my back on my kids and say, listen, once you get your act together, then I'll have something to do with you. No, I knew this. When my children were struggling, they didn't need less of me. They needed more of me. And I would draw close to them. And I'm not nearly as good a father as God. So here's the thing. If, if we're going to look like Jesus, it has to look more than just a get out of hell free card, right? If we're going to look more like Jesus, it has to change our life from the inside and out. And this includes things like parenting. And so what I encourage you to do is read scriptures, lean into them, glean from them. Um, and children, if you're in here and you're like, Pastor said, I can't, no, I didn't. Uh, if your parents ground you, that's, that's on them, okay? I don't, I'm not getting into that, all right? Um, it's a bad week for the kids to be in here. I'm over here telling, telling parents this. <laughs> um, but the everlasting father, in Christ's uh, perfection, in his office, he'll, he'll never be indifferent towards you, but always interested in you. He'll never play hooky on you, but he'll always be present with you. He'll never loathe your existence, but he will always love you. Every bit of you, even the bits that you don't like about yourself, he loves those as well, every bit of you. 
Lastly, this is my favorite one. It's the Prince of Peace. I love this. Um, does that sound underwhelming, by the way, Prince of Peace? I think it sounds underwhelming when, when you first think about it. Prince of Peace, cool. Um, it sounds very like Prince Caspian. And by the way, I don't know, the second Narnia wasn't that great for me, but if you liked it, that's fine. Um, but uh, it's kind of underwhelming, Prince of Peace, cool. But there's so much more to this when you really like dig into it. And, and I think this is gonna become your favorite thing. Again, he's, he's the everlasting father. He's the, he's the mighty God. He's the wonderful counselor. He's all these things, but he's the prince of peace. And, 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 and in our culture today, we naively believe this. We believe that there can be peace without war. And this is something that in today's world makes more sense. Why? Because contrary to what CNN or Fox would tell you, uh, major, you know, any major like uh, news outlet, there's less war today than there has ever been, truly. Also, there's more people today than there has ever been. And so the fact that we have less war today, less death, and the population's going through the roof, guys, this is a good thing, okay? So I understand why we believe that there can be peace without war, but this was not a luxury in Jesus' day. This was not a luxury in Isaiah's day. What they, knew that, what they knew was this, if there was gonna be peace, there must first be war. They knew this because it was a truth in their culture. Remember, the Bible's not first written to us, it's first written to the, 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 the audience. And for them, 750 years before Christ's birth, there must be war. Peace was not won at the negotiation table in 700 BC, it was won on the battlefield. And here's the thing, when Jesus came down to earth as a baby, in a manger as a gift to us. He came down in this manger knowing that he was gonna go to the cross and that he was gonna make war on anything that is not holy and good and covered by him. And so he goes to the cross and he makes war for there to be peace among us. And I think this, I think that in, in your life, in your heart, I think you might be feeling this season that there's a war going on inside of you. Now, I'm not saying with you, I'm not saying that God is warring with you, but there's a war going on inside of you, a push and a pull from God, right? And everything else inside of you. And so what does that look like for the divine to be warring inside of you? What is he trying to win in your life? How is he trying to win you over? What does that feel like? I want, you to, I want you to think about that. And who do you want to win that war? What does that war look like inside your soul? If there's ever gonna be peace, if there's ever gonna be peace inside your soul, what does the war first look like inside of you? How does that change look like in you and for you? I think sometimes we get lost in that thought. And so uh, what we're gonna do is I wanna set up this video. We're gonna, we're gonna watch a video from, um, a beloved family, the Nixons, they go to our church and uh, Todd and Diane, they couldn't be here tonight. Um, they have some family things going on. And it's funny because we actually showed this video back in 2021 when we first recorded it. You'll hear them say uh, some dated stuff in there. And, uh, and so it's funny because uh, I told them, I said, you know that you weren't there the first time that we showed this video. And they laughed and they're like, yeah, you're right, we weren't. So anyway, here's the, here's the second time we're showing it. And, um, and I think sometimes for us to look at the war that goes on in our hearts, it's good for us to see the war that goes on in somebody else's heart. So check out this video. I am Diane Nixon. Hi, I'm Todd Nixon. Uh, Diane and I have been at Redemption uh, since, since the beginning, since launch. So uh, well over a year. A community uh, 
family. I, I found it um, redemption. Share a life, stories. I would just say the, the word that comes to mind most often when I describe redemption is authentic. A bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we met through mutual friends at a, at a bar in, uh, at the Central West End. Before the event, uh, I would say uh, life was a party. It was just about stuff, bigger houses and and new and nice cars and just just stuff, just things. I got a phone call. I was at work. Uh, it was Monday, uh, November 26, 2017, 9.30 a.m. I remember very specifically, I got a call from the YMC that my wife had collapsed during a workout. Got to the hospital, and a neurologist walked out and told me my wife had suffered a stroke at 41 years old. Our, our world was just instantly turned upside down in that moment. Uh, not something we had planned, <laughs> not something we had anticipated. I, I think I didn't even know what to do in that moment. You're in total kind of chaos and you, you don't have any answers. Diane didn't come home from the hospital for about two and a half, three months. Even once they had to remove her skull plate and do some other things, surgery because of the severity. It's kind of like you, you're going along, you think you're maybe starting to get out of the woods and then something else, another turn, another twist. Literally, you know, and the Lord says, you know, don't be anxious and, and take it a day at a time. Uh, that's literally what he taught us through this, through this experience. Stroke, I wake up, uh, able walk, um, wheelchair, alive, um, difficult uh, talking at all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, a blessed Todd realized um, difficult um, manage kids, school, work. I, I just had lots of questions, and God was just uh, drawing me in through His Word, and I was really seeking. And there was a Bible verse, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'd heard that so many times. And now it was starting to make sense to me. And I really thought, I, I think I was arrogant enough before this that I thought I could get my way out of anything by surrendering to him and allowing him to work through me. That's what got me through, that's the miracle. I remember being at the top of the street, getting ready to turn, and I remember just that, the sensation that I had about that much air left in my balloon. But I thought it was incredible that God still gave me that air, and it was enough. No, a God right beside uh, self, um, never alone. God, stick with me, and no, forget that. I got on my knees and I just said, Lord, you've been pursuing me my whole life, and I just 
you were right there as close as my next breath and I just couldn't see you because I was so focused on me. The thing that I cling to is these two words and I first saw it in Deuteronomy and that is hold fast. Hold fast. So uh, before, before the stroke, um, Todd says that, that uh, they were the life of the party and it was just about the next thing, the next uh, fast car, the next big house or the next whatever. And, um, and what happened was uh, through the events of their life, the Prince of Peace went to war inside of them and for them. And, and hear me when I say this, I'm not saying by any means that God caused a stroke in Diane. That's not what I'm saying. And I think that's uh, uh, truly like bad theology in large part. But I do believe that through those events that God went after their hearts. And through that, uh, you should listen to their, their story in person and talk to them about it. If you're interested, they would love to share it with you truly. Um, but, but God started to change things in their hearts. The Prince of Peace started to change their heart because he was making war with it. It says this, uh, or Todd says this in the video. He said, I was arrogant enough before this that I thought I could get my way out of anything. But there's one thing that we just can't get our, our way out of. And, uh, and at the end of the day, um, there's nothing that, that they could, with all of their wealth or all their success, that they could trade in for their salvation. There's not one thing that they could have traded in. Um, then Todd, he says this. He says, the thing that I cling to are these two words. Hold fast, hold fast. I love that he says that. And the question is, uh, what are you clinging to? And maybe the question better asked is, who are you clinging to? Who, who, do, you, who do you grab when life goes uh, down the toilet? I mean, who, who do you grab when life hits the fan? We say this at Redemption, we say that uh, salvation isn't a game that we win or we lose, but it's a gift that some people receive and some people refuse. And so the question is, uh, have you received it or are you refusing it? So this Christmas, um, what is the Prince of Peace saying inside of you? What is the, the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, Jesus, the Messiah, what is he saying inside of you? Uh, what's happening in your heart? Do you feel the war that the Prince of Peace is raging inside of you? And what does it look like to surrender your life to him the way that Todd and Diane did? Again, salvation isn't a game that we win or we lose. Sometimes we think that and it's so wrong. There's no basis of that anywhere. But it's a gift that we receive or we refuse. So this is what I wanna do. I wanna offer you the gift it's not my gift to give. I'm just offering it to you uh, based off of scripture itself. But I, I, I don't want you to, to leave tonight not having the opportunity to say yes to the wonderful counselor, to say yes to the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. And I just wanna, I just wanna pray uh, over you and for you. And if this is the first time that you have ever wanted to say yes to Jesus, to follow him, to say yes to the prince of peace, you can Pray after me a prayer like this. Jesus, Prince of Peace, you are waging war inside of my heart. You're fighting for my soul, and I feel that. I follow my own counsel. I've neglected to follow you, the mighty counselor. And I'm asking you tonight to be my everlasting father. You are the mighty God, and I give you my life. 
Help me follow you and live according to your way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hey, listen, if, if that's a prayer that you prayed tonight, we just want to know. And so uh, find me afterwards, say hello, um, and uh, or find someone in a redemption t-shirt, share with us because we would love to celebrate with you. Again, these two things I want you to remember today. Salvation is a game that we win or lose. It's a gift that some people receive or some people refuse. If that confuses you and you think that you can win it, let's have coffee. I'd love to chat with you. Number one. Number two, grace is presence not withheld. The down-to-earth gift, Jesus came and he gave us his presence, his proximity, it's the greatest present we could ever receive in our life. 